SAFM 104-107 to Nationwide The Viewpoint 8-10pm to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head on SAFM. Terry. Yes, it's over to me now. So you can go and take a short break, Songeza, wherever you'd like to go. Um, and I am going to really enjoy the next half an hour because I've invited as my guest a woman that I've known for many years, a woman that I've worked with, but a woman that I really admire. And I thought that particularly in this Heritage Month, she would be a really interesting person to talk to. And her name is Zed Farber. Zed, are you with us on the line? Yes, I am, Terry. Good. Can I say welcome to you? And I'm really delighted to have you as a support in this very important conversation. Thank now, you. Zed, maybe I can start by asking you about, about yourself. Can you tell us about you know, where you were born, how you grew up, etc. Yes. So I was born in um, a little place called Daleni, near Richmond, in KZN. And uh, it's so funny, for the longest time when I told people where I came from, and I would say, I come from Daleni, and they say, where is that? And I say, Richmond. And usually people say, oh, no idea where that is. And I would have to say, well, it's about 30 k's, you know, from Pitamerisburg. But after the, the protests and the, you know, just before democracy and the, the kind of killings that happened in Richmond, all of a sudden everyone knew where Richmond was. When I said, come from Richmond, mm. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So and so, so, Kabinde, and so and so, and so and so. So I think that that whole um, experience put our little place on the map in some ways, not for the good reasons, but all of a sudden people knew where I came from. <laughs> Yes, and it, it was so interesting for me, Zed, because I remember one of my first jobs after leaving university was teaching at the, the teacher, there was a teacher's college at Ndaleni and an art college where, where students um, were taught to, to become art teachers, and some of them went on to become really well. So yes. it's interesting that we had that, we didn't actually meet each other then, but there was that kind of connection uh, through Ndaleni. Yes, that was very interesting because, like, when you said you knew Ndalene, I'm thinking, what in the world do you know this place from? And when you said you taught at the place where my parents taught, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is a small world. Um, so that was <laughs> quite interesting. You know, um, the reason that I really wanted to talk to you tonight and that I wanted you to be the guest, said, is because, obviously, because we've worked together for a number of years. Yes. But also because I'm a great admirer. Um, I, I've seen in terms of conflict resolution and so on. And we just had a caller on the line. You joined us, um, a gentleman called Colin, who was, was complaining that in the work that I do, I'm denigrating whites a lot of the time, and that's not helping to build South Africa. And I wanted to ask you, how would you react to a comment like that? Before you respond, Zed, Terry, could I ask you to hold your phone slightly away from your ear? Every time you speak, every now and then you press a button, and what we're getting is a feedback that pretty much mutes what it is that you are saying, and we're losing parts of your participation. Just attend to that, please. Zed, please continue with your response. Okay. I'm not going to get a job here, then. <laughs> I didn't say that. 
<laughs> Zed, sorry, I'm, yeah. I'm holding the phone away from me, but, you know, how would you respond to, to that kind of comment? Because I take it very seriously. So I think that that's really, really tricky, uh, Terry, because um, I think that people respond to the work that we do from their own experiences and from their own places of perhaps trauma or hurt or history. And, um, and, and we all do that. So, right, uh, so even I as a facilitator, I know that I am not... Um, completely devoid of any biases. So at, at the moment, I'm writing a series of, of articles on LinkedIn about what that journey has been for me of being a diversity, equity, and inclusion facilitator. And I've talked about how much work I've had to do to be able to do this role in a way that serves the whole group rather than perhaps my own need to, to, to feel... Um, or heard or vengeful, maybe let me use the, the, mm. the extreme word, to avenge myself, you know, against, the, you know, the group of people who are, I, you know, you might say were responsible, in quotes, for my suffering and my oppression. So I do think that there is something really, really critical about how we do the work. Now, I think that even in the article that I was writing today, I did say, you know, when I started doing this work, I do think that I might have done it in a way that may not have been as as facilitative, but maybe it was more I was coming more from the place of being an activist. So having suffered under apartheid, having, you know, suffered oppression and, and now being in a place where I can, you know, tell people kind of where to get off. I have to admit that I think there might have been a part of that when I started doing this work. But of course I think that I realized that that was not going to serve, that wasn't going to help. So I think that we all make mistakes, and I think, I think there are cases where even I would say I might have triggered something by how I, I might have facilitated. But I also think that because people also bring their own um, selves and experiences to the, to the workshop, some people may get triggered by something that perhaps is, is not necessarily triggering, but because of where they've come from. So I do think it's tricky. Yes. I, I do think that this work requires a lot of, of, of work and self-reflection and inner work and constantly looking at what you do and how you do it and getting feedback and improving. And do we sometimes, sometimes maybe aggravate things? I think we could say that we might. You know, there are times when we don't, we're not our higher selves or we make mistakes. And then there are times when when it's perhaps from the other side that someone feels triggered when it's, it's triggered because of their mm -hmm. own experiences rather than how you facilitate the work. That's a long do you think it's, but I do you think it's important then that that people like you and me work together? That oh, you know absolutely. we come with a, um, and we come with particular groups. Do you yes. think it's important then that we should be working together on these initiatives? Yes, I, and I think that it's now accepted as best practice that the co-facilitation by people from different uh, identity groups, if it's, if it's an issue of of you know, agenda, then it's male, female, it's an issue of race. And, you know, because I do think, like I've been saying, because you come from where you come from. And also in spaces like that, people get triggered by who's in the room and, and they can either feel yes. safe or not, depending on who's facilitating. So if there is, a, there is a pair that represents different identities, the hope is that uh, most people will find someone that will make them psychologically safe. 
um, now, uh, with, I think and, and even in the partnership. Yeah, I think you 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 hit the nail on the head. And Zed, I'm going to ask you another kind of question now because it's Heritage Month, and part of the reason that I wanted to invite you um, is because I know you're a Zulu woman and and, and proud of where you come from, um, and and from an extended family of Zulu people. So I wanted to ask you, what does Heritage Month or Heritage Day, when it comes up, what does it mean to you? And is there something about that you feel is an important indicator of who you are as a person? Yeah, that's such a, um, a, 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 a tricky question in some ways, because I think that so, so there's, a, there's a particular I, uh, way in which I identify as a, as a Zulu person, as a Zulu girl, growing up in KZN, and, and, and then moving to Johannesburg and being a bit distant from it. And when I, I, I hear the language, I hear phrases, I see expressions, there's something that, that kind of jumps for joy in me, right? Um, and I identify with that. But I think that, the, that there's something about how apartheid um, forced the, the, the separation between us uh, as ethnic groups that makes it hard for me to to rejoice about being Zulu without that kind of shadow behind me. If you get what I'm saying, so it's almost like playing mm-hmm. into the into the manipulation of the separation. So I think I have to disaggregate the different things. So coming to Jehovah's for me was quite an experience because. You know, tell, tell, us tell us about that, Zed. Tell us a bit about that experience. Yeah, because in case that then, I mean, it's changed now, of course, but six years ago, 50 years ago, it was very homogeneous. It, it was mainly, mainly really, really Zulu. And uh, you could, like, count on your one hand the families who, who were Situ and or other, you know, uh, ethnic groups. So coming to Joburg, it's such a, a, like a diversity, even between the ethnic groups. I had such a, a strong identification to to feel like I belong. So I, I made sure that I learned to do and a little bit of Swana and I could speak and I could converse because I really wanted to go against the separation that was imposed on us. So there's something for me that feels a bit um, um, uncomfortable uh, around all heritage being Zulu. So I see it more as a as a black person. Like what 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 does that mean for me? And also now having children who've grown up in Johannesburg. Um, who are kind of citizens of South Africa and some who, you know, have traveled. There's something that feels less, um, it feels like the, like the identity as a black person rather than as a Zulu person is, is mm. kind of more important. Now, the other piece which I, I you know, is constant work for me is around looking at how um, through apartheid we were made to feel less than and we took on those mm. messages because they were accompanied by how our lives were structured in the legislation. And we took those messages on and looked down upon ourselves, which is what Steve Vigo was trying to work against. Um, mm. So there is a, I mean, I interviewed some people for a mini kind of presentation around that. And there's something also about, that came out of that experience that's, that's about remembering who we are and rejoicing in who we are that makes me want to, that, that's making me revisit. So I think what I'm saying is that it's a constant, um, reflection, revisiting, revising, interacting, revisiting, and also what it means for my kids' uh, process. Mm. That I think, um, yeah, I think it's kind of uh, an ongoing process. You know, um, 
it's so interesting because for me as an English-speaking white South African, I just find it so difficult to to think of of heritage. I mean, obviously there were people that I, that I look up to and looked up to, especially during the pre-apartheid. I'm thinking of people like David Webster, for example, um, and even people like Alan Payton, who wrote so movingly about this country. But mm. it's so difficult for me to kind of say, you know, this is my heritage. Yeah. But in terms of, of, of what you were saying about about um, coming to Johannesburg, um, but wanting to, to to sort of learn other languages, surely that's totally important for us as, as white people to, to, you know, if we want to really be part and parcel of South Africa, wouldn't that be quite an important step to try and learn um, at least one African language? So that, and I know that there are some white people that have. But I yeah. think that would be a, a, a good step. What do you think, Sid? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I think that even when I, 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 I see people responding to me when I speak their language, it, it literally melts heart. And mm. it's a very easy lifting. So there's something very difficult about giving your privilege that was accumulated over, you know, centuries, decades by your parents. But a language is something that's so much within each one of us is... Um, you know, circle of control. You can actually sign up and learn a language. And the yes, goodwill you know, that that creates, the goodwill that creates, I think is almost immeasurable. I think Mandela spoke about that, in fact, saying that when you speak to a person in his or her own language, you speak to their heart. Yeah, and we had absolutely. a very interesting caller before you were able to come on the line, Zed. Um, a young man, I'm saying young, I'm not sure, but a man who called Fellow. And he started off by apologizing for the way he spoke English. And he actually mm. spoke English extremely well. But mm. how would you, what would that say to you if a person comes onto the radio and he has a very good point to make, but the first thing he needs to feel he has to do is to apologize for his English? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it speaks to all the stuff that we're confronted with. So, mm. um, so there's something about what, what, what's valued and what's important. So English in this country has been valued and it's seen as important. And, and if you speak in a particular way, then you're viewed in a particular way, regardless of what you actually say and whether it makes sense or not. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, so part of, 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 I suppose, finding ourselves is, is, is being unapologetic. I mean, I think when, I, when I've been involved in writing and, and writing in, a, in what is a second language and what it takes to do that, you know, forget the, the pronunciation. We've worked so hard to be able to speak the language and live and operate in this world that we, re, you know, we need to be applauded for that and 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 just um, what it takes to get to that. It, it may not sound perfect, and also we seem to be quite hard on ourselves. But when the French people speak English, we think it's all sexy and it's, interesting. Oh, it's sexy but, and but cute. And... Yeah, with their accents. But when we use our accents, it just seems to we, we seem to look down on ourselves. Yeah. So I think it's, it's all part of, yeah. And talking about Let me interrupt that, you, I Terry, mean, please. I'm, Let me interrupt you. We have to take an ad break, and I suggest we take it now. And whilst we are on the ad break, I would especially encourage, including the many listeners we have, some random guy whose name is Random Spectre, who's taking me to task on Twitter, to actually express his views on air so that we can engage his views 
as they are in line with this topic. And anybody else who wants to participate, 0891-104-207, we take any call. We do not censor. You don't have to agree with us. In fact, I have a fetish for disagreement because it only allows me to sharpen my argument next time around a similar topic engages itself in my presence. So if you are listening, you want to participate, you will have all of six minutes after the ad break to get your points through. Let's keep them coming, please. After the break, Terry, you take over. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. Songe Zomapete on SAFM. Terry? Hi. Welcome back, everybody who's listening. And can we extend an invitation to Random, who's been in- interacting with us on Twitter, but unfortunately, Zed and I, uh, we don't have a chance to see that. And we'd really like to hear what your views are. I must tell you that Zed and I are used to working with people who have very different opinions to us. And it's always important to us to hear those different views. So please do take the opportunity to call in. Zed, can I just ask you while we're waiting for people to call, um, before you came on air, there was an interesting question about, you know, how come it is that in companies, Kix was an example, that sometimes black employees, even at quite senior levels, find it quite difficult to, to speak up, to speak out, and to call out racism um, or any kind of, of prejudice. Where do you think that lies? Where does that sort of come from, do you think? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Putting I, you in the hot seat. Yeah. No, I think that it's... I, I really think it's a myriad of, of sectors. I think there's something about culture in organizations and companies that, that either allows people to voice their opinions or not. And I think that... I mean, I've been surprised... Uh, so I have to out myself here. Yeah, I haven't worked in a, in a corporate um, environment at, at all. I worked in NGOs and then I, I worked as a consultant. But when I hear the level of, of, of uh, insensitivity, the, the level of, of bullying, the level of shutting people down that happens in organizations, I am horrified, horrified that those kinds of silencing and putting down happen. So I, I absolutely can see how one can be in a position where because the culture is don't dare say anything against such and such, uh, it's hard to raise those things because people have done that a few times and they've been put down or pushed out or, 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 or kind of like sidelined and not even kind of pet projects and things like that. So there's, there's real material consequences to people's careers for that. Um, yes. And of course there's, there's all sorts of other things as well. I think that when I think about, you know, when I found my voice, it's been it's been very late in life. So it's that time when I've seen Hold things and I've, I've found Sorry. it hard to, yeah. We're just going to listen to our caller. Good evening. Okay. The caller, his name is Scully in Durban. Good evening, Scully. Good evening to you, Sengezu. Good evening to your guest there. My input on this matter, you know, I'm an intensive listener, um, is leadership. We need leadership. Since the demise of Mandela, I mean, demise could be the wrong word, you know, we English here, communication language. Um, since that Mandela has left us, you know, Tata Mandela, uh, we had no leadership, sir. 
I, uh, you know, that's my thing. We need leadership in every department in this country. That's my contribution to the show, Sangeza. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much, Scully. Welcome Thank you back. So we much, hope Scully. you are well. The point you make about leadership is a really important one. And Zag, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but I know you've been writing some really interesting stuff on, on LinkedIn, um, particularly around issues of, to do with diversity and inclusion. Um, what Scali says about leadership, do you think that's an important aspect for us to be thinking about when we're doing this work? Yeah, and, and um, so I, I think that uh, so I'm turning 60 on Friday. Oh, so, happy birthday! <laughs> yes, and I think that we are the leaders we've been waiting for. I think I think that the outsourcing of of leadership to someone out there mm. is nice; would be great. But I think that we are the leaders we've been waiting for. And how can I lead in in my in my corner, in my sphere of influence, in the work that I do, in the way that I raise my children, in what I do, pro bono work that I do? Now, of course, it's amazing to have leaders who can really show us the way. But if you look, forget South Africa, if you look across the world, <laughs> there is a depth mm. of that. And I think unless we, we stand up and say, I'm going, to, I'm going to lead, maybe not in a political sense, as in kind of, but, but where I am, I think a big diff- we could make, all make a difference. And that's all within our, our, our control. I think we can all do that in the places where we are. Um, yes. Yeah. I think that's such a critical point you're making, Zed, that it's not about political leadership necessarily, but about being the leader where we find ourselves, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever we are. You're quite right, and I love it when you say we are the leaders we've been waiting for. Um, I think that's so very true. Zed, I'm going to have to ask you if you'd like to have a final if you'd like to make a final point, because we've just got another couple of minutes before we're going to have to hand, out, hand back to our usual presenter and take the news. Mm-hmm. So please use mm-hmm. this opportunity. Well, no, just thank you for the opportunity. It's lovely to be able to talk about these things in a kind of a relaxed environment, and it's interesting to have the table turned, Terry. So you're the one interviewing versus being interviewed most of the time. <laughs> so, But thank you for the, for the opportunity. It was lovely to discuss um, some of these wide-ranging issues. Yes, indeed. I'm going to hand back now. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent, excellent conversation there, Maklaba. Thank you so much as well to you, Terry. There are lots of contributions coming in the way of our listeners. What I propose to do, Terry, is just to read them out, first of all, just to recognize to our listeners that we do take their contributions seriously. I would then suggest you please respond to them after the news break. So where you can just jot down a few notes because these are all in response to the first hour's conversation. Here goes. Great show, Songhezo. The honesty of your guest is so refreshing. Let me throw a curveball that once South Africa has finally dealt with the white racism on black South Africa, would need to prepare itself to deal with the elephant herd in the room of black against black as playing out in Zimbabwe right now. That's M&M. Number two, Songhezo. The problem are the old white generation that are racists. The young generation, blacks and whites, are together as one. Third, good evening, Songhezo. As always, I have a problem with the generalizations used in all these discussions. White people are white monopoly capitalists. It's a white people's problem. 
black people are this, etc. This is where the conflict comes, the polarization. This is where the barriers come up. Yes, some whites are racist. Some blacks are racist. You can't make the assumption that all whites treat black people badly, that all black employers treat their black employees justly. Let's try and do away with the generic term white people as a collective or black people as a collective. I am white and I'm certainly offended by adverts such as Tresem advert, but because I am just lumped into the group of white racists, immediately I feel angry and sidelined. Really, let's try and do away with sweeping general terms. Thank you, Deborah in KZN. Final comment before we go to news. Songhezo, black people will not learn and benefit with people like Terry Oakley Smith around them. According to her, the rest of the country or world must learn how to treat blacks correctly. Truth is, blacks have to learn how to adjust to the world in the 21st century. It is very comfy to get somebody to soothe your sore egos, but it is far better to get someone that will tell you the hard truths for contributions. I look forward to your response after that, Terry. And if you have heard this and you are at home and want to contribute, I think it might even be easier to drop us a WhatsApp voice notes, please. You know the number, 0614-104-20, sorry, 0614-104-107. That's a WhatsApp voice notes. Let's try and do voice notes. Final comment in this hour, Terry, my brother's wife, her name is Zodidi. She celebrates her birthday today. She is listening. She wants her name heard on air from you. Please wish her a happy birthday before we go to news. I shall do. Can I say a big happy birthday? Happy birthday, dear Zondie. Happy birthday to you. Fantastic. I couldn't have said it better myself. Your voice is much better than what I could have done in the time. Everybody, it's 21 hours. It is indeed time for news. We will be back with more riveting debate after that.